Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's your host, Matt Browning. It is Interview Friday, and I got... A pretty, pretty crazy good catch for you this Friday. Um, if you are in the consulting, the speaking, the training, if you would like to have bigger clients, make a bigger impact, if you're involved in leadership, this is the guest for you. Uh, I'm so, so blessed that I finally wrangled her into an interview. I've been trying for months and our f- uh, schedule is finally aligned. You, uh, She's worked with companies like Honeywell, Perry Ellis, State Farm, and even the Department of Homeland Security. You've heard her on the Sharkpreneur Show with Kevin Harrington, Seth Green. She's been named one of the top 100 women making a difference for her company and her nonprofit work. She's, been, uh, she's an award-winning business owner from the Small Business Administration, as well as receiving the Presidential Call to Service Award under George W. Bush from the White House. She's a contributor to Forbes, a regular contributor. She's created a curriculum for government. She is the real deal, and I'm proud to, uh, to call her a new friend. Welcome to the show, Miss Lisa Marie Platsky. How are you? I am fabulous, and wow, 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 Matt. Thank you. I am honored to be here with you. I'm so stoked. So let's, uh, let's jump right into what we're going to be doing today. Um, so first, I, I want to hear a little bit about your story. You... You, you have a really interesting story about working, you went to work for the U.S. Customs and, and the Department of Homeland Security, you did a lot of work there. What was it, what year did you first get involved with the uh, U.S. Customs? Oh, um, U.S. Customs, 19- Or you can say how old you were, you don't have to say which, <laughs> but you can pick one or the other. Your call. <laughs> I was I was first hired in 1994. 1994. So in 1994, and that's a funny time in the world where it's like we it's still old school, like in the 80s, but it's not, but not entirely, right? It's yes. we're starting to change the way with men and women and work and everything. What was it like going to work for, for the U.S. Customs? You know, putting on a uniform. Um, and I know you're working in New York at the time, so you're down to the piers and primarily a male-driven, male-dominated area from what I understand. What was that, so what was that like for you getting in and what was the motivation to do that in the first place? What little girl dreamed of working for the uh, U.S. Customs Department? Well, I, I had the little girl dream that I was going to be Wonder Woman with my cape and I was going to save the world. And so that's why law enforcement and I did not expect uh, the peers in New York. They were a little bit different than my visions as a little girl. And, and uh, I'll tell you that, that I, uh, the that being there on the on the piers it was definitely rough and tumble and and not pretty mahogany desk with nameplate like i had in my visions when i actually signed up for the government where where did you think you would work when you were when you were thinking about it earlier did you dream of being like just a cop or was it something in particular no, I think that there was there truly was this desire for me as as a kid to be a superhero and and save the world. There was something very true about that just because of my upbringing and and you know and uh, and my own uh interactions with the police and and calling them for domestic violence incidents. So they were often this the you know they came in to save the day if you will. And so when I majored in criminal justice, I don't think that I really ex- 
new. It wasn't like I was like, oh, here's the vision and I'm going to have a, a gun and a badge and, and a blue uniform and this is what it's going to look like. It's, it's just, it's not, I didn't, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> Did you make the connection? So, and, and if I can't ask about this, if not, that's okay. But, you know, so you mentioned there's domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming you're growing up as a kid yes. in this kind of environment. Is this with, with parents or? Yes, parents, yes. And family? So you're actually having the cops called mm -hmm. in your home. Yeah, as a little kid. That was and me. So when you saw the cops come, it was actually, because I, I know some, some people have shared their story and said it was really scary when the cops would show up. Now that was the terrifying part. But for you, no. it's almost, so the cops would break up oh, the danger. It was wonderful. This, wow. Yeah. It was wonderful. It was actually wonderful. I would go up and I would pa have my sister pack her little blue suitcase and I would tell her, you know, that help is on the way and, um, and we would just wait. And then they would come, there'd be a knock at the door and whatever. Who would call? Who would call? And then we would be taken to my, to my grandparents' house. So who, who would call? I would. I was, you, I was. So you one. were actually calling? I would actually be the one in my, in the bedroom upstairs when I would hear the commotion downstairs. How, yeah. how old are you with all this going on? Ooh. Um, uh, so I was at the time, maybe 11. So at six, m m my biological father left and then my mother remarried. And so it, was, it wasn't good with either. Uh, both were similar patterns. It's just that, um, yeah, probably 11, 12, um, 13. Why, why do you think that is? Just, you know, as we, as we think back, because I know, I mean, people listening, this is, you know, we're going to get into a whole other side of where you went from there. But I think this is just such an important conversation, too, that number one, I'm getting is, I don't care what age you are, um, violence isn't okay. And right. no matter how old you are, it is okay to stand up and do something about it. And I'm yeah. just, I, that's so courageous, too, from, from that kind of young age where you're young enough to be that you should be able to be innocent, but yet you're old enough to know the difference and, and to stand up and do that and take care of you and your sister. Were you always the kind of the protector in that way? Did you, you took Absolutely. on that role? I, I, I believe that God gave me heart virtues that are mercy, justice, and protection. And so that's the reason why when, when you ask, it's like there was this theory for me, this, this thing about wonder woman, because it was like the save, you know, save the day. Um, and, that mercy and justice and protection have reigned through my business. I believe that the world is made for those who stand out, not those who fit in. And yet that takes courage. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Do you, do you think you, you have the heart virtues of the strength that you do had you not had that upbringing? And I know this is on the surface you could go, Oh, well, that's what gave it to me. But I mean, really, do you feel like that's something that you were given and you could create and curate no matter what. And do you feel yes. like that maybe accelerated it? Or yes. do you feel like you would, you, it made you shine because of who you were already, if that makes sense? I think that the circumstances helped shape what steps I took later in life. And the more I got comfortable with being vulnerable and disclosing and recognizing that comfort doesn't change the world, vulnerability changes everything. It gave my clients permission, it gave people in law enforcement permission to authentically be who they are. And yet I believe that that mercy, justice and protection, my hard wiring was, came at a soul level. Like I had that when I was three, you know, and 
it showed up in different ways when I was four and five and six. And later on in life, my mom actually shared a story with me that when I was six and my, and my, and my biological father left, that there was a photo, a family photo. Actually, it was their wedding photo. And then there was a smaller family photo. And my mom was still wearing her wedding ring. And I was six at the time. And she said that I said, he's not coming back. You should take that down. And, um, and you said that. And I said that. And I was six. And so my mom said she went to her room and just cried. And, and, um, and uh, the same thing with the, with the wedding ring. You know, I had pointed to the wedding ring. And so I, I, I believe that you know, we all have a certain hardwiring virtues that are gifted to us. They're part of our soul. They're part of our being. They're how we operate. And as circumstances come up, it's, it's also what allows people to make decisions and act. And then the circumstances around contribute and add to that. I think my deep compassion came from having a, an uncle who was mentally disabled and really going places with him. So it's not that the external circumstances don't affect your, your leadership or your ability to thrive in the world. I just believe that you do have a blueprint that you yourself are um, innately are, you know, come into the world with. So you follow that blueprint and you get more in touch with it and mm -hmm. um, early environments uh, certainly mm -hmm. shape that and hone that into, into a finer yeah. point and you decide to go into law enforcement, uh, into U.S. Customs. And you, I know you, you shared a story with me earlier and I wonder if you'd be willing to share that here is um, you talked about being stationed in New York and when you lost your mentor um, with oh, yeah. the, uh, the tragic events of 9-11. I wonder if you could just share a little bit about that story and, and what it meant for you. Sure. It was, it was a really rough time because I, I didn't know what I was getting into at law enforcement. And so I recognized the need for great mentors. I had been struggling in, on the job. And one of the, one of the, one of the mentors that I met, uh, Tony Infante, great guy, uh, larger than life and was the head of uh, Port Authority police in, in the, New York area and would meet with me regularly. And one of the, there was a, uh, there were things that were going wrong when I was a supervisor. And there was this sign on the wall that was, uh, you know, no, don't bang your keys. Don't, don't, um, don't talk loudly, nothing. And he gave me some great advice and told me to just stand by the sign. And I don't know if this is the story you're referring to, but he told me to stand by the sign and just say, hey, that's really terrible. And then to do it again the next day and the next day. And that's all I did. And eventually somebody changed it. And what I learned from that, my big lesson and my big takeaway was sometimes you don't need to be the loudest voice in order to lead. Sometimes you lead in ways that allow people to find their way on their own about really what is acceptable and what is um, unkind and, and just rude, just downright rude. And so he was such a great mentor. And after 9-11, it was very painful for me to not only have lost him, um, but Matt, I, 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 it's where I learned forgiveness. And fascinating that I sit on the, the board of a global nonprofit project, Forgive, that was founded by Dr. Sean Duperon. And it, it, um, 
it's the place where I learned forgiveness because if I did not, I would have uh, all of the anger that I had would have turned into something incredibly unhealthy. And what I turned to was really that people, I don't think anybody of any race, nationality, sex, any, anywhere in the world, I don't think any human being um, really does have the desire for uh, um, harm in their purest form as a, as a child. I think everybody wants the same things, to be valued and appreciated and loved. And somewhere along the line, wires get crossed and things happen. And so the forgiveness for me was, if I didn't, if I didn't, if I became bitter and, and didn't really learn how to forgive from losing him and, and just the situation that my life was turned upside down, I, I think that I would be in a very different place today. And so going back to the mercy piece for me, forgiving sometimes the unforgivable, it's really the greatest gift you can give yourself and it benefits everybody around you. And it's what allows me to be be a, was allowed me to be a leader in, during those times that were so tumultuous in the government. What a conundrum to the forgiving the unforgivable. I mean, just the, the nature of that mm-hmm. statement is impossible, but yet like that's where the grace lies. That's where mm-hmm. the, the peace comes from. Um, I love, so you said you don't have to be the loudest voice. And I jotted down a note. You don't have to be the loudest voice according to you, just the most persistent. Yeah, because <laughs> that, I mean, that, that's that's yeah. what you just taught me, which I thought yeah. was awesome. about the sign, um, thanks for sharing that. Now, you from there, what did you do next when you got out of U.S. Customs and working? Was there something that happened that you decided, hey, I'm done with this, or was it something more like, ooh, I saw something else I wanted to create or do or or contribute? What was that's the- a great, great question. Great question because everyone wants to know, like, why'd you leave? Like, it sounds like an exciting, fun. fulfilling gig. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was enjoying myself. I had a badge, I had a gun. I, every day was different. I worked with great people. Um, and after 9-11, I went and got to develop curriculum at the Leadership Development Center for Homeland Security and got to do some really interesting things in the government. However, I was dating someone and we were living in different states and, you know, and it was good. And, you know, when I lived in New York, he lived in DC and I took a transfer to Georgia. He went to California. I went to Texas. You know, we'd see each other every couple of weeks. It was beautiful. Um, And then it became more serious. Oh boy. So now it's more serious. (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah, hey, more serious. And, um, and so the question became, do we both stay? Do we have competing careers? Or does one person leave? And it didn't come up exactly in that box, but pretty close. And I think it goes back to what we talked about, Matt, which is understanding who you are, understanding who you're not, and understanding what you want most. And with this, we could have both stayed and had competing careers and, and had a boatload of money. And the reality is that the life as a husband and wife living together was, was more important because I said, why don't I keep working in Texas? And why don't you keep working in California? And friends of mine said, like, people who are married usually live in the same household. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, this like, just, just so crazy. Um, and, and so it was like, wow, I'm going to have to quit my job and, and, you know, and leave. And yet 
our relationship was, was that important for me to do that. So it was a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you yes. decided to change. And did so you know what you were going to gonna change into or did you just decide to leave first and then you figured no. it out next? No, I just decided to leave. And people <laughs> were like, people were like, what the heck? You know, you're slated for like this promotion and this promotion. And I had been climbing the ranks and, and it was, you How know. How many I, years did you have in at that point? I had in 10 and a half. Yeah, that's a significant amount for a government agency. I mean, you're, so you're had, moving towards the next spot. Yes. Yeah. What, yeah, what was the very next thing you did? Did, did, you, did you kind of chill and decide, hey, I'm going to be in a relationship and I'm going to figure me out? No. Nope. Or did you jump right into, of course you did. So what, what did you jump into next? Actually, I called my parents and I said, I'm quitting my job. And they were like, oh my gosh, what happened? And I said, and I want to move back home for six weeks to plan my wedding. And they were like, what, like, what in the world has happened to her? This isn't the 1920s. Um, you don't have to quit your job because you're getting married. So, right. It was, it was just, well, and the other thing too, is I didn't want to live with him ahead of time. That was just a personal decision on my part. And, and so, I respect that too. Um, That's really cool. And so I, I, um, so that's why I moved back home with my parents, which is kind of crazy because, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is nuts, you know? And, and then when I did that, I didn't have a job and I got recruited by several law enforcement agencies. I interviewed, I looked at different places to help that were looking for experience in Homeland Security, almost took a job managing five police academies. And I will tell you that the only reason why I didn't, there was one main reason, and Matt, that's that I, freedom, flexibility, and fun are so important to me. I had that in the government, and it's so that I can spend time with my friends, my family, and my faith. And You like the Fs. I do. <laughs> freedom, flexibility, and fun, so you can spend time with your family. My friends and my faith. <laughs> friends yes. and your faith. I love it. I'm writing it down. I love it. And, I'm going to put so, them up on my wall. This was like really important to me. And I, so I said, oh my gosh, you know, what can give me that? And when I started looking at these jobs, I'm like, they are not, and some of these jobs were really stressful. So I thought, well, I could open a business. Now I didn't know have a business degree. I knew nobody in business. I never met anybody who owned a business. So this was just sort of like a pie in the sky. But leadership changed my life when I was in the government. So I loved leadership and wanted to do something in the field of leadership. Can I share you a quick story about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So, because right now I do want to sort of pivot. We have, we have a few minutes left. And I want to, and it goes so fast, but I want to pivot into a little bit of some of the leadership lessons and some of the, um, mm -hmm. I know you do the seven pillars of leadership and I want to transition some into kind of what you've learned over the years and sure. what, because everything that we teach, right? If we teach something today, there's a reason for it. You know, there, there's yeah. things that we've learned along the way and it's become important. So I'd love to kind of pick your brain on some of that as well. Well, that, and that's where this will go. And I'll, uh, that's exactly what this is because I, I was in the place of not being beloved on the job. These were not guys that were like, yay, I want to work with Lisa. <laughs> um, and <laughs> at all. And so I had something had to happen. And so I decided to sign up for a leadership training program. It was seven months on my own. And I go to this leadership training program. They give me lots of assessments, um, lots and lots of assessments, leadership assessments, self-assessments. And I get the results back and the instructor under in one of the interpersonal skills assessment stands over me and says to the entire class, 20 leaders from the New York metropolitan area, if Lisa, Lisa 
uh, got her score, and she is a perfect zero. score. Oh, a zero. No, a zero. Yeah. What does that mean? A zero. And then she proceeded to announce to the class, and if Lisa invites you to do something and you say yes, she really wishes you weren't there. And if you invite her to do something and she shows up, she's secretly wishing she was someplace else. And I was really upset. And Matt, all these people, they didn't talk to me. They just stared at me for the rest of the class. It was not a safe space for me to receive this. It was not a place that was um, that this, the, this feedback should have given to me. And while it was awful, and even sharing this with you makes me a little sick to my stomach. I, I can see, it, I mean, if, if you were seeing this right now, I can see it in your face. This is, yeah. that wasn't really just a feedback that. session. That was a traumatic yeah. event. It really was, really was. And um, I said to myself, Lisa, if you don't change, if you don't make a shift, you can be smart and right, you can be strong and tough, and you're going to be alone and dead. And in my job, that was very, very true. And so when you ask about leadership lessons and what changed for me and why leadership ultimately really changed my life is I began to get curious. Instead of me trying so hard to prove that I was right, I became curious and started asking the guys about what was important to them. I began sharing personal things like my faith journey. I began sharing things at work that allowed me to connect with others deeply. I began researching how to position my expertise and how to really be seen at work. And I also expanded my vocabulary, Matt. I learned three new words. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I never learned how to say that before. Ah, yes. And so it was really, it was wonderful. And so this is, is what took me on the path of leadership and why when I left the government, I opened up a leadership coaching, training, and consulting company because it really is what saved my life. And I ended up being leaving the government, actually not even leaving the government. I was the fastest promoted officer, male or female, um, in the agency at the time. And I still get calls from guys who work in the agency. I'm still connected to them, you know, even after having my business for 14 years. And it's what allowed me to open, open doors in my, in my business so quickly just the lessons that I learned. So despite it being one of the most painful things, it ended up being one of the biggest blessings in my life. Wow. Wow. So now you've, you've taken that and, and the lesson I'm getting as well is what brought, and it, it brought so many of us, I think, into leadership. What, what brought me into leadership is having to learn how to lead myself. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to intervene and change who I was and what I was all about. And, you know, my, my people know my story, so I don't need to share it here. But, you know, when I went from having, you know, a successful, quote, financial career and doing real estate and doing lending and finance, and I made the decision that that's not what I was put here for, that I have to do something different. Yeah. I really went through my own change and transformation. Like, how do I see myself? Where do I see my value, right? Is it, is it in my knowledge that I can learn or is it in the contribution I can give to people around me? And things just transformed. And then you can start getting out and helping the other people and, and doing what you do. So you created something um, called the Influential Leadership Blueprint. And it's based on your seven pillars of leadership. We haven't even gotten into like the whole, I'd love to do a part two with you at some point. Can we do a part two at some point? I would love that. 
All right. I, just want, I like putting you on the spot live to tape, you know, when, uh, <laughs> say, when you come back. I ha- I'm waiting for someone to say, no, I hate you. But you said yes, so that's a good thing. So, guys, we, we're going to get Lisa Marie Platsky back. Uh, and we're going to dive into, in a part two, we're going to go a lot deeper into just straight um, corporate leadership consulting leadership and and i'd love to get into actually do an episode on leadership on the seven pillars and go as deep as we can so in the short time we have we got about a couple minutes um tell me what what it means to you to have the pillars of leadership in in your life and your business who needs them and why i i look at the seven pillars as being the foundation they're the foundation and oftentimes when people can't figure out what's wrong or what's not working, it's because one of those is off. Could be, could be two, could be one. It's really a small shift makes a big difference. And when you ask who, uh, it doesn't make a difference whether or not it's a corporation. I use them when I go into organizations or whether or not you're a small business owner, the seven pillars apply. And without going deep into them, I'll simply share what they are uh, if we have time or should we not do that? Well, I, I hate to say it, but I think we should leave an open loop. Okay. We will do Beautiful. a part two. And we in part Beautiful. two, make sure you check back in. When you see Lisa's name again, we're gonna do a part two and have the seven pillars of leadership. We're gonna get into what they are, how to apply them probably, and, and really yeah, where that conversation takes us. So for now I'd love to say is uh, you have something called the influential leadership blueprint. And can you tell us uh, just briefly about that? And then where can we find you, where can we follow you, and where can we get a hold of that thing? Sure. Influential Leadership Blueprint is really all about stepping into your soul's calling. If you've got something that you know that you're called to make a bigger positive difference in the world and you know that there's something and it's just been, just been just niggling at you a little bit and that's what this is for, to be able to do that and blaze the trail that you're called to blaze and step into the purpose that you're designed for. And you can find that at UpsideThinking.com, U-P-S-I-D-E. And then the word thinking, T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G.com. And it all, is an, uh, it all uh, is an alignment to be able to allow you to fully design your destiny in a way that has your people really find you in your, as your most authentic self. I think it's a perfect way to finish to find you with your most authentic self. Uh, you can follow Lisa on Facebook and on LinkedIn. What's your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook page? Facebook page is positive, happy life at upside thinking. <laughs> <laughs> positive, happy life at upside thinking on Facebook. <laughs> you can find Lisa Marie Platsky uh, on LinkedIn. We'll of course put a link to both her social media profiles on the show notes and UpsideThinking.com is where you want to grab the Influential Leadership Blueprint. Lisa, it's been an honor. It truly has been. It's been an absolute pleasure. I loved our time before taping and our time uh, on the show. I'm excited to have you back. I cannot wait for our part two. Um, thank you so much for being on. I sure appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Matt. All right, guys. That is our interview Friday this week. So be on the lookout. We're going to do a part two with Lisa. Super excited about that. Um, In the meantime, have a phenomenal weekend. Get out there and crush it. Do something great as per usual. Thanks so much.